Welcome to Lumina, a podcast from Afters, the Australian film, television and radio school. I studied biomedical science at university and I hated it, a lot of it. Uh, it, I felt like I had to rote learn everything and I kind of always wanted to be a journalist. I don't know whether always, you know, it was right next to like being Indiana Jones' right-hand woman, you know, winning an Academy Award. But at some point I was like, being a journalist would be great. In 2015, Wendy Zuckerman had some sense that she wanted a career combining science and storytelling. But that seems very like pie in the sky. She was at a point in her career that a lot of creatives can sympathise with, where there's this gap between where you're at and where you want to be. And the gap stretches out ahead of you. It's long, it's taunting. And for some, there's a shortcut. One good idea can propel you across that untraversable expanse. Maybe that idea becomes an internationally renowned podcast, taking you to New York at Spotify's Gimlet Media. My name is Wendy Zuckerman, and I'm the host of Science Versus from Gimlet. And I'm Fenella Kernerbone, and this is Lumina, a podcast from the Australian Film, Television and Radio School. In this episode, we're talking about the power of a good idea, how valuable an idea can be, how far it can take you, but more importantly, why it matters who owns that idea. This second season of Lumina is all about our future economy, and as we transition into a knowledge-based economy, intellectual property is more important than ever. Later on in this episode, you'll hear from Zare Nalbandian, the founder of Australian creative digital studio Animal Logic. And he's talking about IP generation as a business strategy in an increasingly globalised industry. But before we get to that, let's go back to Wendy. After uni, she was balancing community radio with some work at the ABC. I was doing like lots of local radio around the ABC, so when kind of a cool science thing, like a spacecraft landed somewhere that it doesn't usually land, some people at the ABC were getting into the habit of saying, Wendy, come and tell us about it. It was the beginning of 2015 when the ABC had started thinking about going into podcasting. A few months earlier, the game of podcasting had changed forever. The mega-hit serial had just exploded the podcast medium, and Apple's latest operating system meant that every new iPhone had the podcast app installed. The ABC knew podcasts were becoming a thing, but they weren't so clear on how they could make podcasts their thing. Wendy at the same time, was gaining a reputation for her passion for science storytelling. And so the ABC asked if she had an idea for a podcast series. It was the same week, I think, when Gwyneth Paltrow had suggested that women steam clean their vaginas. And it, it was like kind of before Goop and all that. So that was kind of this amazing moment where, to my great surprise, some women were like, should we be steam cleaning our vaginas? And I thought, I have a job and it is to tell women not to steam clean their vaginas. And so I pitched this idea and the whole point was that I wanted to tell I wanted to tell people about the science they care about in a way that was fun and didn't feel like homework. So she and her editor made a pilot. Hi, you're listening to Science Versus, the show where we pit fact against fad. I'm Wendy Zuckerman. And this led to a full season. have been celebrating a breakthrough. A eureka discovery. A significant breakthrough. A breakthrough. Uncovering the sinister secrets. Scientists across the world. World first. I basically had a computer and a desk and then Caitlin Sorry was my editor 
and then so was my family because Katie was editing three other podcasts at the time including mine and then I would send out every episode to my family and they would like rip it to shreds and then I would make it again. Wendy was fresh to podcasting but her idea was a hit. To say it was popular was an understatement. So I remember waking up one morning and my Twitter was blowing up and I was thinking like what is going on here And I tracked it back to this tweet that Roman Mars had sent. Um, This is Roman Mars, who hosts 99% Invisible, sort of one of the very big podcasts in America. And he had sent kind of out of the blue this tweet that was something like, you should listen to this new show, Science Versus, by Wendy Zook. Wendy was onto something, but not everybody was catching on. Well, They were, but at different speeds. So I managed to keep the IP for Science Versus through what I call dumb luck. I wasn't a full-time employee at the ABC. And because, like, podcasting was this new thing that I guess the ABC was like, oh, let's see what happens here, I never actually had an official contract with the ABC. And so the IP for it just kind of fell into my hands. Like there were a couple of emails that suggested I would own it, but nothing was really sorted. Because podcasting was new, things weren't quite as formal as they are these days, all around the media landscape. So the value of Wendy's idea wasn't immediately understood. Now it can be hard to put a value on your own ideas when others aren't, but creatives are often ahead of the game when it comes to knowing where value lies. And on the other side of the world, in New York, the brand new podcasting company Gimlet was listening. So then when Gimlet sent me this email that was like, hey, let's chat. And then we chatted and they said, can we buy it? I said, I think you can. And then there was kind of some official discussions and some scrambling around from all sides. And ultimately it was decided I did have the IP um, and could then sell it to Gimlet. Today, Science Versus is one of Gimlet's flagship shows, sitting amongst other podcast royalty like Reply All, Startup and Crime Town. I'm Wendy Zuckerman and you're listening to Gimlet Media's Science Versus. On today's show, ghosts. Hi, I'm Wendy Zuckerman and you're listening to Science Versus from Gimlet Media. Today, we're tackling acne. Next week is Science Versus the G-Spot. Does it exist? That's Science versus Ghosts. Now, Wendy may say it was a bit of a fluke that she managed to retain her IP, but for most of us, negotiations around this space, well, that can be pretty tricky to navigate, and we have to tread carefully. It's not always obvious when to fight to keep your IP and when to strategically relinquish it. What is clear is the question of IP is only becoming more pertinent. Here's Dr. Georgie McLean, acting CEO of Afters, who we heard from in our first episode. We're entering a knowledge economy. In fact, arguably, we're already in it, in which IP and ideas are the new currency. So essentially, IP is generative. It creates new opportunities. It creates new work and it kind of creates new business opportunities. So it's a new form of productivity in which IPs can be stretched in multiple different directions. Um, you know, obviously here we, we have a strong history in the legacy media in afters, so film, television, radio. But now there's any number of ways that an original idea can be extended into different platforms, different modes of engagement and different business opportunities. A company feeling the shift is animal logic. Can I get you to start off by introducing yourself? I'm Zare Nalbandian. I'm the 
co-founder and CEO of Animalogic, which is a group of companies that make things in the, in the uh, film and TV space. So we have what we call Animalogic Studios, which is where you're sitting right now. What started as a small animation studio nearly 30 years ago has now grown into one of Australia's most successful film and TV studios. But a big breakthrough being the Matrix movies, where we designed the Matrix code, which went on to win an Oscar. And then through relationships with great filmmakers and great artists in Australia, having worked with George Miller on Babe and Babe Pig in the City, uh, being invited to work on his film Happy Feet and transitioning into animation. The Animalogic Studios were going from strength to strength as a service provider, but the industry was changing. It's also important, I think, as a business operator, that you have a level of control over your your destiny, as it were. And, you know, as a service provider, which is a, a great industry to be in, and there are so many fantastic companies around Australia that produce visual effects and animation and advertising and other areas of content, you know, they, they all punch above their weight, but at the end of the day, they're, they're actually susceptible to external circumstances. Exchange rates vary, rules and regulations in different jurisdictions vary, incentives vary. Or a movie star just doesn't want to travel to Sydney to shoot their film because they want to stay in New York, so a whole production moves offshore. One massive shift in the last 10 years is the globalisation of the film industry workforce. When Animal Logic first started, big US film studios requiring services like animation or special effects would call on local companies or other big studios they had relationships with. Today, technology has democratised the film service landscape, opening up the possibility of work partnerships with any company, big or small, anywhere in the world. This is broadly positive for the industry, but it does mean that services are up against increasingly cheaper competitors. If you're a service provider, someone can write a cheque and buy your services, and we're in a more and more homogenised, globalised industry, and work is being aggregated around the world. You know, there are companies with 7,000 employees, 5,000 in India and 1,000 in the UK, and they aggregate the work. That's because you can write the cheque and you can buy the services. But you can't write a cheque and buy a great idea. You can't write a cheque and buy incredible creativity or a proven track record in terms of how to create, how to develop, how to package, how to produce, and then how to reach global audiences. For Zare, it was an obvious solution. They started a sister company, Animal Logic Entertainment. Why was it important for you, having started off with Animal Logic, as you said, 29 years ago, a visual effects company essentially, um, to, to creating something that was about developing your own IP? Why was that important to you? Animal Logic Studios, as we refer to it, is where we make things. We execute visual effects and animation, whether they be on our films or other people's films. Animal Logic Entertainment is our IP creation company. It's where we conceive ideas or we option ideas or we buy IP and then we develop it and package it in order to be able to get a project packaged with talent, financed, made and then distributed and getting it out to worldwide audiences. What does owning IP or owning the idea actually mean in in the global landscape for you guys? Well, I think there's more and more appetite for great content, screen content, whatever the screen may be right now. I think the sort of the streaming services that have emerged and are still emerging and sort of all the other devices that are available to us now that audiences want crave content on has really expanded opportunities. 
So I think it's a great time for us and for our industry and for people who are aspiring content creators and have great ideas and, and are talented and can execute. But at the same time, I don't want to make it sound like it's easy. Uh, and I don't want to make it sound like you can create an idea or some content and know that you can 100% own it and, and own it forever because it is all about collaborations. It's all about partnerships. It's all about compromise and giving up something to get something. So I think it's important to try to own your IP and create content that you own, but it's also important to know that you have to partner and you have to share. This is especially true for early career creatives or those trying to break into a new space. But there's a challenge there. In negotiations, a powerful distributor or platform will often hold a great deal more power than a creator. Here's Wendy again. If the ABC had said, like, we're going to own the IP for this and you get to make it, like, I wouldn't have had the wherewithal to say, no, I'm going to keep the IP for this little thing that I have no idea is going anywhere. So instead of making it, I'll keep my IP. You know, there's no way I would have had the wherewithal to do that. But I guess I would, I would encourage new people making things to really try and push back as much as possible, see what happens. I think if you're passionate about an idea and you really believe that there's an audience and you can execute well, you should fight for it. But you're probably going to struggle to do that on your own if you're just an emerging creator. Find a great partner. Give up some of your IP and have them help you and, and by leveraging their experience and their reputation. And next time around, guess what? You'll have your own reputation to leverage. So how to know the worth of an idea? It might come down to valuing creative instinct. Everyone has ideas and they're always great ideas. But when we generate an idea or we think about developing an idea, the first question we ask is, who is our audience? And if you can't identify your audience, then you're probably not going to be successful in getting people to see whatever it is you're making. And you do that instinctively, and that's not data. That's experience and instinct and audience patterns and so on. So instinct is key. Wendy was on the money when she predicted that women needed clear information in the face of pseudoscience beauty advice. And it's that instinct too, created by Animal Logic's experience, that gives their original production studio value. There's an appetite for very generic content. And if the data throws up that more people are watching very safe content, then if that's all people will finance, that's dangerous. Mm. Um, and I feel like we're at risk in a data-driven world where that could occur. So I always kind of urge people to go trust your instincts, take some chances, be innovative, don't just do what's safe, but at the same time, make sure you know who your audience is, otherwise you're wasting your time. Not everybody's data-driven. I think there's still a very traditional side of our industry, which is about history and audience patterns and believing great IP. And if you execute great IP, audiences will, be, will come. So I don't think it's black and white. And I think that it's just a matter of finding the right avenue for your IP. Zare says that if we want to truly take our place in the global economy, Australia needs to become more comfortable with risk at all sorts of levels. We lack risk money in this country. We lack an appetite of investment into things that may not work. The willingness to, to fail so that when you succeed, you really break through. 
And I guess that's sort of relative to our economy. It's kind of understandable. But it's just the general nature of business in Australia is very conservative. It's very risk adverse. And that's the biggest thing that holds back our film industry and our TV and screen content industry is the investment in development because development is the riskiest part of our business. Do you have any thoughts on how you can shift that to enable a more focused risk environment to you know proliferate i think you can do that in little ways i think you can find there are there are great people out there who do want to take some risk you know they may be high net worth individuals they may be investment bankers but it's about finding people that believe in you and back you but it's also looking beyond australia because there is money outside of australia that you can bring to australia to back you as well so I think I think there's different ways of doing it. I, I'm not saying it's a lost cause. I'm just saying that's a fundamental barrier here, which is a cultural one. This is a passion conversation for me because I really believe that when you look at Australia and the makeup of Australia, from you know first world nations to the multicultural country we are, and I'm an, I'm an immigrant here, as most of us are. When you talk about telling Australian stories, you're t- talking about telling stories that come from all around the world. So I'm really passionate about the statement that it should be Australians telling stories. If you tell Australian stories that only Australians will hear, you're kind of talking to yourself. If Australians can tell stories that are universal, that audiences all around the world respond to and hear, that's really great because one, you're, you're spreading the voice of Australia around the world and you're influencing popular culture around the world with an Australian voice. And, you know, it also from a business point of view, it, it's more likely to be successful. But I do think it's absolutely about Australians telling stories. If you look at Peter Abbott, it's a hundred-year-old piece of beloved British IP from Beatrix Potter. It's been made into cartoons. It's been read by kids and their parents and their parents' parents. And an Australian company managed to reinvent it for contemporary audiences, make it out of Australia, and have it be successful globally. That's Australians telling stories. doesn't matter the story wasn't originally an Australian one. Like Wendy over in New York, bringing her unique perspective to stories about all kinds of things, the science of gun control, vaccines, race. A good idea at the right time totally changed her career. I had no idea how big podcasting was going to become. I had no idea that this was going to be my career, like literally making a podcast for the ABC. I really just thought it was a little blip, a lovely blip, And then I was going to go back to just kind of fossicking around Radio National. Somebody told me, and I don't know if this is true, that there's now a clause that is called the Zuckerman Clause that basically says the ABC owns the IP. Next time on Lumina, our creative skills on the world stage with Australian Hollywood producer Greg Basser. We have such great skills both in front and behind the camera. We work really hard. Governments have increasingly understood that film production is one of those industries, like IT, like space, that is a multiplier effect in a community. You've been listening to Lumina, a podcast from Afters, Australia's national screen and broadcast school, dedicated to finding, developing and supporting Australian storytelling talents. Lumina is produced for Afters by Audiocraft. Our producers are Selena Shannon and Jess O'Callaghan, with production help from Bernadette Newen. Our sound engineer is Tiffany Dimack, and executive producer is Kate Montague. I'm Fenella Kernabone. 
To hear more of these episodes, subscribe in your favourite podcast app. You have been listening to Lumina, a podcast from Afters. 